Good morning, everyone. Hey, welcome to Crestview Baptist Church. Thank you for choosing to come worship with us on this uh, rainy day we have outside. Not only is it rainy, it's cold. I personally wish if it was going to be this this cold and wet stuff was going to come down, I wish it was snow. But uh, that's just me. I'm glad to have you with us. Just a few few announcements to get us started. Um, uh, right after church today, Whitey would like to meet with the men in the choir loft. Um, so that's just right after church today, before everybody goes home. Don't forget about our Wednesday night services, youth and children down in the building, um, and adults up here in the sanctuary. Uh, February the 4th is coming up on us, our um, all-you-can-eat breakfast of the month. Keep that on your calendar. And uh, there's not a... Not a whole lot in the bulletin right now going on. We're kind of at that uh, winter, winter's like we're treading water. But, you know, uh, we're just glad to have you with us. If you're a guest and a visitor with us, be sure that, and you've not been before, be sure you fill out one of the visitor cards in the pews in front of you. We would love to get to know you a little bit better. Um, but really, at this time, I just invite you to let's turn our hearts toward the Lord and let's focus on Him a little bit this morning. Good morning. morning. Do have a uh, just a couple of other things, please. If you are a regular attending member, or uh, or you attend on a regular basis, and you've been coming for years, even if you're not a, a technically a member, you've got a mailbox out there. Please check your mailbox. There's several that still have Christmas cards in them, so please pick those up. Um, also. If you change your address, your email address, your phone number, please update the church office. We've uh, we got several that we've tried to get in contact with, and the, the existing information that we have is not accurate. So please, if you had any change, if you changed cell carriers or changed emails, don't just tell me, because I will forget by the time I even sit down, I will have forgotten. Inform Nancy in the church office, please, so she can update it in, this, in the system and that we'll be able to give out uh, appropriate and correct information to our deacons. Also, many of you know, there may be a few that don't, um, but Dot Hyde was uh, crossing the street Friday night, leaving... Uh, going to get the car, leaving the Bulldog Quick Snack in Bowling Springs, going across the street to get the car to come back and pick up Shannon and was hit by a hit-and-run driver, and she passed away Friday night at the hospital. So please be in prayer for uh, Shannon and the rest of her family as well as Dot's friends. Dot was one of those special ladies that did everything for everybody else. And we have several people in our church that she went above and beyond anything and went and sat at the hospital with them, took them to doctor's appointments, took them grocery shopping. Even though she wasn't a member here, she, she's still going to be greatly missed and loved. And I also ask you to pray that they're able to find who did this. Um, pray for them. Because honestly... 
They need Jesus Christ. And I'm not saying that to be a smart aleck. I'm saying that to be truthful. Because anybody that has a relationship with Christ could not do this and keep going. So please pray for this person. And don't mean to start the service on a, a sad note. But we need, to pray for, we need to pray for people like that. We need to pray for everyone that we know and don't know to come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. Because that's the whole purpose of our church. That's the purpose of any church. Is to praise God and build disciples. And the first step in building the disciple is getting someone to the, a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. So as we begin our time together, it is great to have Sandra back with us today. She may or may not be sitting on a stool when she leads the choir, but it is great to have her back. Uh, and she is recovering quickly. And at this time, if you would please join me in prayer as we begin our time together. Our Lord and Savior, we come before you, humbly bowing before your throne. Dear Lord, we have several that are sick, that are in our congregation that are not here. We have some that are working. Dear Lord, even though they are not here, they're still part of us. Dear Lord, we have some that are unable to come and are gathering, watching the service online and join us in worship in that way. Dear Lord, I ask for one thing, that, that you fill this place with your presence, that we fill you today. That you move among us, that you open our hearts, our ears. Dear Lord, and you, start, you begin working on us so that we can apply what we hear from you today. Dear Lord, I pray for the Hyde family right now. I lift them up. I can't imagine the pain that they are feeling. I pray for Dot's friends that she did so much for. Dear Lord, I know that there are so many people that are hurting because of this situation. But dear Lord, today, we give you the honor and glory. We give you the praise because we know that when Dot closed her eyes in death, we know that she was in the presence of her Savior. And we praise you for that, dear Lord. I ask you again, dear Lord, that you fill this place. Dear Lord, that your name be praised, your name be lifted up, and lives be changed because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I ask you to be with, with Sandra today and, and fill her with your presence and fill her with your strength, dear Lord, that she's able to lead us in worship today. I ask you to be with Chad as he works with the children and shares with us a lesson for the children that you would speak through him, that you would touch their lives, and that you would begin the process of, of bringing them to know you as their Savior. Dear Lord, I ask you to speak through me, that you would move in the words that are spoken today, that when we leave this place, dear Lord, that we will be stronger, we will be encouraged, and we will know that we have been in the presence of God. We give you all the honor and glory, and it's in the holy and precious name of our risen Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.
when I saw Lisa Murray pushing Jerry in the wheelchair this morning, I thought, thank goodness Jerry's here. Slide over, Jerry. Lisa's going to push both of us. <laughs> and Lisa said, you know, the doctor said that the type of infection that Jerry had, anybody, any normal person would be dead. And she said, he is just too mean. <laughs> but we know Jerry's just too special. So, Jerry, you're special to all of us. It is so great to have you back with us. And then you remind us of how great God's faithfulness is to all of us. So let us stand and sing, Great is Thy Faithfulness, page 54. Great is thy faithfulness, O God my Father, there is no shadow of Cookies for me. So I, I was like peanut butter. I, 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 I
tried something new. She made little goo bars. I think I might live them better than the chocolate chip cookies. They were pretty good. But, so I looked up, and so if I want to make chocolate chip cookies, I need to put a few things together first. I need to get some butter, some sugar, Milk. some brown sugar, vanilla, an egg, flour, milk. baking powder, probably some milk, yes, uh, salt, and chocolate chips. <laughs> and I've got to get them and I've got to mix them all together. And, and that's, put them in the oven to bake. That's right, put them in the oven to bake. Well, you know what? I, I, I was trying to figure out how to come about true happiness. You, who likes to be happy? Everybody here likes to be happy, right? You know, so there's there's lots of ways in the world try, people try to be happy, but the true happiness, come, where do you think it comes from? God. It comes from God, right? And so did you know that in the book of Matthew, chapter 5, Jesus gives us a recipe for happiness. Did you know that? And I'm going to share with you. I'm going to share with you this whole scripture later, because it's, it's pretty long scripture. But I'm going to share the whole scripture with you when we go to Jewish church in a little bit to go on what we're already doing. But some of the things, some of the things that Jesus told us we need for happiness was mercy. You guys know what mercy is? Mercy Watson. Mercy Watson. Okay. Mercy is uh, like if somebody is, if maybe we need to forgive somebody or somebody does something against us. And, and, you know, we need to have mercy. God showed us mercy by doing what? What did God show us mercy by doing? By sit, well, he, he sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sins, right? Yeah. All right, peace is another thing we need for true happiness. What do you think peace is? Is that when we're all like out in the backyard fighting and yelling and screaming at each other? <laughs> we're not fighting. We're getting along, right? What about this one? A good attitude. Ooh, a good attitude goes a long way with happiness. Does that mean I walk in the church and I say, mm, good morning, everybody? <laughs> a lot of us. A lot of us get up in the morning and we forget, you know, that our good attitude, our smile, is a good way to share the gospel with people and to share Jesus with people. And we walk to people and we might say, mm, Jesus loves you. Do you think they think Jesus loves them if I say it like that? Probably not, right? All right. Now, what about doing what's right? And we, we go through and we, we follow Jesus' rule or God's rules that he gives us. We love other people. Yeah. We don't hurt other people. We do those things. And there's whole big, there's 12 verses here we're going to read over that gives us a recipe for happiness. So I want to challenge you guys to go out in the world to be have mercy for people, to live in peace with people, to have a good attitude with and to, to do your best to do what's right. And if you do those things, that is the recipe for happiness. And living those things out in your life is like putting that all that cookie batter in the oven and baking it up, all right? What's your favorite chocolate? You can ask me a little bit. I'll tell you when we get out there, okay? So we're gonna have our we're gonna I'm gonna pray, and then we have one more song before we go to children's church. All right, so bow our heads. God, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for Jesus Christ coming by for our sins. Thank you for giving us instructions. True happiness. 
Lord, help us to go out into the world and be merciful to other people, to live in peace with other people, to have a good attitude, and to do what's right. <coughs> Lord, all this we ask in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Would you stand as we sing our hymn of praise, number 406, and then we will have our time of giving of our gifts, tithes, and offerings, page Creator, we have come at this point where we are giving back to you a small portion of what you have blessed us with. Lord, I just ask that you bless this gift and bless the giver. For it is your name that we pray. Amen.
Thank you, choir. If you look at the title of the sermon, Words That Will Kill a Church. Honestly, if you've spent any time in ministry in any capacity, served as a deacon, served on a committee, you have heard a lot of of things said in church. You hear complaints about how the pastor dresses. You hear complaints about the temperature of the air conditioning or heat. You hear complaints about the color of the carpet. You hear complaints about the kids and how loud they are and how, how uncontrolled they are. You hear complaints about the music how loud the music is, if it's real music or canned music, that uh, the choir looks like they're dancing up there uh, to, to uh, why, can't we why can't the doors be claimed? Hey, there's a light out. Hey, this is that. This is this. Oh, complaints about everything. You hear a lot of things said in the church. We're not talking about any of those. Today. You see, those type of things are people being people. 
You can't get a group of people together. If, you've got, if you get two people together, you're going to have three opinions. And I'm going to get in trouble saying that if one of those two people is a woman, you're going to have seven opinions. Ooh, see? And that's something else that somebody can complain about now. You hear a lot of things said in the church, but we're not talking about those things. What I want to talk about today and share with you from Scripture is something that's said that will literally kill a church. I'm talking about lock the door, sell the property, that church is dying. If you would turn to Isaiah chapter 43, this is where we're going to jump off to get into this sermon. But Isaiah chapter 43, we're going to look at verses 16 through 19. If you turn there, it is in your bulletin as well as it'll be on the screen. But if you will stand as I read this scripture. Thus says the Lord, who makes a way through the sea and a path through the mighty waters, who brings forth the chariot and the horse, the army and the mighty man. They will lie down together and not rise again. They have been quenched and extinguished like a wick. Do not call to mind, do not call to mind the former things or ponder things of the past. Behold, I will do something new. Now it will spring forth. Will you not be aware of it? I will even make a roadway in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for what we see recorded in your word here from the prophet Isaiah. Dear Lord, speak to us today through it. Speak through me. And it's in the holy and precious name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. The first thing I want us to notice is that God will make a way. Again, look at these verses. Thus says the Lord, who makes a way through the sea and a path through the mighty waters. Who makes a way? Who does it say there at the very beginning? The Lord, God, Jehovah, will make a way. Then look down at verse 19. Behold, I will do something new. Now it will spring forth. Will you not be aware of it? I will even make a roadway in the wilderness, rivers in the desert. Who does it? Who makes a way? Say it. You guys can say it back. Who makes a way? God. The Bible is full of examples of God making the impossible possible. See, you got Abraham and Sarah. They were promised a child. That Abraham and Sarah would have a son. It didn't happen right away. In fact, it took so long for God to fulfill this. God's timing is perfect. But for Abraham and Sarah, they got tired of waiting. And in fact, the first time God told Abraham and Sarah that they were going to have a child, what did Sarah do? Laughed. 
<laughs> That's funny, God. Yeah, right. But when Abraham was 100 years old, guess what happened? God gave them Isaac. And they... And you know what I, the name Isaac means? Laughter. Because Sarah said, for God gave me laughter. God did the impossible. Then you have Pharaoh's army coming after the children of Israel after they were finally released from slavery out of Egypt, they get to the Red Sea. And I've told you this many times. In today's theological discussions, a lot of people will say, well, it wasn't the Red Sea, it was the Reed Sea. Well, either way, it was a miracle. And God did the impossible either way. Because if it was the Red Sea, He parted the waters, and the entire company of Israelites crossed over on dry land. And then, after they got through, Pharaoh's army, all his chariots and all his soldiers came chasing after them and got in the middle, and he swamped them over and killed all of them. There's nothing left of them. If it was the Reed Sea, which is only six inches deep, the children of Israel waited at that Reed Sea, and then God, as Pharaoh's army came crushing through after them, he drowned and made it totally disappear, the entire army of Pharaoh in six inches of water. Both of which is impossible. But God did the possible. He made it possible. I honestly believe, because the Bible says it's the Red Sea, I believe that it was the Red Sea, and He parted the Red Sea. And I can just imagine those Israelites walking through and looking over, and here's this fish going, bloop, 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 looking at them. I honestly, I can picture that. I still remember that as a child, hearing this story. God did the impossible. Then you have the children of Israel coming up to this big fortified city, the city of Jericho, that had never been breached, had never been defeated. And God told them what to do. I want you to march around the city one time for six days. And on the seventh day, I want you to march around seven times and I want you to blow the trumpet. And that's all they did. These people sit there and they're making fun of them. And once they went through on the seventh day and they, they went around it the seventh time, guess what happened to those walls of Jericho? They fell flat except for one section. The section where Rahab lived. And she had that scarlet cord hanging out the window because of her faithfulness to the spies of Israel. God said, I will protect you. And she had faith enough that she did what they were, she was told to do and God spared her. God did the impossible. Then you have Gideon who was called by God to lead an army against the Midianites. And the Bible says that the Midianite army looked like a, a, 
a swarm of locusts. There were so many of them covering the field. And they had been harassing the Israelites. And, and he called Gideon. And Gideon gathered up men. And he said, yeah, there's too many because I want God to get, I want the glory to go to myself, not to Gideon. He told Gideon, you've got too many men. Anybody that wants to go home, let them go home. So Gideon said, okay, whoever wants to go home, go home. There was 2,000 men left. God said, that's still too many. He says, take them down to get some water. And the ones that bend down and scoop up the water with their hand and drink out of their hand, keep. Those that bend down and drink out of the river, send home. Got it down to 300 men. God said, that's who you're going to fight with. And God told Gideon what to do, and Gideon did exactly what God said. He said, I want you to divide them up, and I want you to surround the camp. I want you to have a horn or a trumpet and a, and a torch. And, and over the torch, I want a, a pitcher. So Gideon did it, and he said, when you hear the trumpet blast, I want you to break the pictures, I want you to shout, and I want you to blow the trumpets. And they did exactly what God told them to do. And guess what? God did the impossible because 300 men completely defeated the entire army of the Midianites. Said God actually turned their swords against each other because they woke up in the middle of the night, looked up and saw all the torches around them, heard all the racket, and they thought they were surrounded and that they were being attacked. And they began to fight and they were bumping into each other and they were thought and they began killing each other before the army of God could even get in there. But God did the impossible. Then you've got David, little young David, the shepherd boy that took on Goliath with a rock and a sling and defeated Goliath. God did the impossible. Then you've got Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. You guys ever heard of them? You may know them better as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. If you remember that story, the king there in Babylon had set up a statue of himself, an idol, and wanted everybody to bow down and worship it. And he's standing there and they blow the trumpets and sound all the noise and everything and everybody bows down and he looks out and there's three people standing up. And he's like, uh, bring them to me. Did you not hear what I told you? When you hear this, do it. And they said, uh, I love this. We have no need to answer you in this case. He says, listen, if you don't do this, I'm going to throw you into the fiery furnace. And they said, nope, we're not going to do it. And he literally said, they literally say, we will not do it because our God is able to save us. And even if he doesn't save us, we're still not going to go against him. We're still going to honor him. So either way, we win, you lose king threw him in the fiery furnace. Then he looked in there and he says, uh, how many guys did we throw in there? Didn't we throw three? They said, yeah, king, we threw three guys in there. And he said, well, there's four of them walking around in there. And one of them looks like the son of man. And he calls to him, he says, come out. And they came out. 
and their, the hairs on their body was not singed. There was no smell of smoke. There was no soot on their clothing. Nothing absolutely at all was wrong with them. God did the impossible. Then you've got Daniel, who is told not to pray to anybody except to the king. And, da and Daniel continued to pray. So he was cast into the lion's den. You see, they kept these lions in this pit. And they wouldn't feed them. So that when they threw people in, they would immediately get devoured, torn to shreds. Well, they threw Daniel in, put the lid on top. And Daniel probably had the best night's sleep he'd ever had. Again, the picture in my mind as a child, and I still remember this, is Daniel's curled up to this big, big male lion using his mane as a blanket. And then the next day, the king can't sleep. The next day, he comes and has it opened up, and he calls down there, and he says, Daniel, and he goes, yeah, I'm here, I'm okay. God came and closed the lion's mouth, I'm fine. So the guy that tricked the king into signing the order he and his entire family got thrown into the lion's den, and guess what happened to them? The Bible says before they even touched the ground, they were ripped to shreds. God did the impossible. And then, the entire nation of Israel had been waiting for the promised Messiah. And God sends His angel to a young virgin named Mary and tells her that the Holy Spirit is going, or that she's going to have a child. And she says, how's that? I'm a virgin. I've never been with a man. She said, the Holy Spirit's going to do it. Fulfilling prophecy that the virgin shall give birth. God did the impossible in bringing His Son into this world. Peter walks on water. Anybody and everybody knows you can't walk on water. But Jesus was walking on the water. And Peter said, hey, if this is you, have me come out there to you. And he went. He walked on the water. And then he began to sink, cried out to Jesus. Jesus pulled him back up and they walked back to the boat. God did the impossible. Jesus rose from the dead. Anybody that has any sense knows that the, what is described that Jesus went through, there was no way possible. From the beatings, from being nailed to the cross, from having a spear shoved up into His chest cavity, piercing His heart and His lungs. Jesus was dead. But three days later, God said, not so fast. And He rose Him from the grave. Sealing our salvation. God did the impossible. Saul was on his way to Damascus to hunt down Christians. Those that 
proclaiming the name of Christ. And something happened that he was not expecting. He met Jesus Christ face to face there on that road to Damascus. And God changed the murderer, Saul, into the Apostle Paul who wrote most of the Old or New Testament. God did the impossible. God will make a way. So what does this have to do with the words that will kill a church? The words that will kill a church are these. We can't. See, we hear that a lot. In the history of our church here, we have heard it a lot. We believe God's wanting us to do this, but we can't. What we need to realize is that when we say we can't, what we really mean is this. And not just Crestview Baptist Church, but any church. When we say we can't, what we really mean is we don't believe God is able to do this. That's what we're really saying. But you know what Scripture says? Luke one thirty seven. For nothing will be impossible with God. What does that say again? What's going to be impossible with God? Nothing. So while we're saying we don't believe God can do this, God's saying there's nothing impossible for me. Nothing. We're also, what we're also saying is that we don't trust God's plan. We know better. We don't trust God's plan. But Scripture says, in Jeremiah 29-11, For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for your welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. When we say we can't, we're saying we don't trust God's plan. But God's saying, I know the plans I have for you. And I'm not going to plan anything that's going to hurt you. But it's going to make you stronger. It's going to be, make you better. And then when we say we can't, we're also saying we don't understand how God will do it. So we don't trust that He will do it. We don't understand it. It doesn't make sense to us. So we're not going to go along with this and we're not going to follow because we don't trust it that will happen because we don't understand it. But Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 tells us this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your path straight. We don't have to understand but us in our human nature, if we don't understand it, we can't accept it. And we don't trust it. And then when we say we can't, what we're really saying is we don't want to change it or we don't want to change ourselves because we've always done it this way. This is particularly 
applicable to Baptist churches. We don't want to change. Don't care what God says. We don't want to change. Listen, I've literally heard, not in this church, I've actually heard a deacon or of a deacon that said, I don't care what God wants. I want it this way. I'm not changing. We've always done it this way. Go back to what the original scripture says. What does God say? I am doing something new. Don't you even notice it? But that's what we're saying. When we say we can't do it, we're saying, I don't want to do it. We don't want to change. And then the last thing is, I've already said this, we don't care what God wants, we want it this way. That's what we're really saying when we say we can't. Isaiah 48, 17. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord your God who teaches you to profit, who leads you in the way you should go. I hate to break it to you. God says that He will give us the desires of our hearts, but He, honestly, His will is not depending on what we want. See, that's what you call <coughs> a conflict of faith. When what we want and what God wants don't match up. But a lot of times in our churches, what will happen is that what God wants gets pushed to the side and we maintain what we want and it will never work. We can work ourselves to death, but unless God is in it and, what God, and we're in alignment with what God's will is, it will never succeed. And those things, saying we can't, will kill a church. at one point in our church life. And this sermon is not about money, but we had more money than we knew what to do with in our church. We had a booming youth ministry that had outgrown where we needed to be or where we were. And we spent many a business meeting discussing what we could and could not do. And so what did we do? Nothing. Until we finally took a step back and looked at what we could do and we did what we could do. And now we have a youth building with Sunday school rooms and a building for meetings. But by the time we got to the point where we're willing to do what God wanted us to do, the youth weren't coming anymore.
we got to the point in our, in our, class, in our, our services here that there was really no place to sit. And some of you remember this, that we had a packed sanctuary every Sunday. We said we've got to do something. But we didn't want to add another service. Human nature is if you've got to come in and look for a place to sit, you're going to start stop coming to have a place to sit. And that's what's happened. But you know, God's still in control. So instead of saying we can't do stuff, we can't do that, what we really need to do and what we really need to say are these things. Instead of we can't, we need to seek God's will through prayer. Literally seek Him. And I'm not talking about praying to get the answer you want. I'm saying put what you want aside and praying that you get God's answer and God's will. 2 Chronicles 7.14 says this, And my people, and yes, I know this is talking about the Jewish, but literally... If you've accepted Christ as your Savior and you are a Christian, whose name are you taking? Christ. So this is applicable to you. And anyone that calls Christ their Savior and their Lord. If my people, or and my people who are called by my name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. Again, the first thing it says we have to do is humble ourselves. Put aside what we want. And then seek God's face in prayer. Earnestly pray. That's what we need to do. That's what all churches need to do. And then the second thing is let God change what needs to be changed in us. For God to make a way, we have to be willing to let Him change us. Romans 12, 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by a renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. We can't fully understand God's will or know what God's will is unless we, are, we allow God to transform us from the inside out. But sometimes we get stubborn and say, I'm not, we're not changing. I'm not going to change. We're not talking about a church as a whole. We're talking about individuals here. We have, as in, have to, as individuals, allow God to move in us and the Holy Spirit work in us to transform us so that we understand what God's will is. Then, collectively, we can confirm with each other what God's will is. And there is nothing more special than to, to, to know what God wants to happen and have someone else come alongside of you and tell you, hey, I think God's telling me we need to do this. And it's the exact same thing. Oh, what, what a feeling to know that and to be confirmed 
And then the third thing is we need to do is we need to, instead of saying we can't, we need to get to work and allow God to provide the way. Once we have sought him in prayer, once we have, ha- have allowed God to prove his will to us, then we need to get busy and take that step in faith and allow God to provide the way. I can't tell you how many times when that has happened, when we have stepped back saying we know this is what God's wanting, He's going to have to provide it because we cannot do it ourselves. And each and every time, God has found a way of doing it. He has provided a way to make it happen. Genesis 22, 7-14, going back to the story of Isaac. Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father. This is when God, after Isaac came and God said, I want you to sacrifice him to me. I want you to take him up on the mountain. I want you to lay him on an altar and I want you to sacrifice him to me. Abraham said, okay. So as they're on the way up the mountain, Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. And he said, behold, the fire and the wood But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. Then they came to the place of which God had told him. And Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood and bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And he said, do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Then Abraham raised his eyes and looked and behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up as a burnt offering in the place of his son. Abraham called the name of that place the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it will be provided. Jehovah Jireh, God the provider. Remember I've told you before, when any time in the Old Testament you see the words, a angel of the Lord. That is the messenger from God. But when you see the angel of the Lord, it refers to Jesus Christ. So Jesus himself called out to Abraham saying, stop, don't hurt me. And how we know this is because continue reading. What does it say? It says says that You did not withhold your son from who? Me. But God waited. He waited until he saw that Abraham was totally sold out and that hand was up here getting ready to come down with that knife before Abraham or God said, stop. And provided the lamb. But here's the thing. Abraham didn't notice that ram. Which means that God 
had that ram traveling up at the same time. So when Abraham got there, the ram wasn't there, quite there yet, but when the, he was there, right when he needed to be there, right in the, at the perfect time. You see, the same thing is true of, of Peter when he was walking on the water. When Peter began to sink. The Bible doesn't say that as, as Peter started to sink, that, he, that got, Jesus reached over and grabbed him and pulled him up, does it? It says that he began to sink, and when he cried out, Jesus reached down and grabbed him. But Jesus waited until Peter cried out to him. You see, like most people, most of us, Peter probably fought, fought against the water, thinking that he could save himself. And he waited until he was about to glug-glug before he called out to Jesus asking for help. But Jesus was there waiting the whole time for him to ask him. And right at the perfect time, Jesus reached down, picked him up. And I can imagine on the way back to the boat, Peter probably had his eyes glued on Jesus and probably had, held onto his arm so tight that he couldn't let go. Jesus would probably go, Peter, get off me, get off me. But guys, that's what we're talking about. That's the attitude we have. Instead of saying we can't, we have to get to work and we have to trust God to fulfill and to make that way possible. And he might not make it possible until right at the end. But if we know God is wanting us to do this, we, we have no choice but to keep going. And trust God. Instead of saying we can't, we have to trust God even when we never see God's work accomplished. Daniel 3, 16 through 18, going back to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you will set up. See, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego trusted God even if he didn't save them, they were going to trust God. See, Hebrews 11 is filled with stories of people in the Old Testament times that trusted God and had faith in God, waiting for Him to fulfill the promise that He made to Abraham. The promise that He made to Eve and Adam and the serpent that his seed would crush Satan's head. They never saw it accomplished in their lifetime, but they never gave up trust. They never gave up faith. We need to trust God, even though we may not see it happen. We need to trust God. And then instead of saying we can't, we need to follow God's leading or get out of the way. 
Now that sounds harsh. But that's the truth. Sometimes we're a hindrance. And if we can't go along with God's will, we need to get out of the way and allow God to move. Matthew 16, 21-23 says this, From that time Jesus began to show His disciples that He must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. Peter took Him aside and began to rebuke Him. Now get this, Peter's rebuking Jesus. God forbid it, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But He turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are not setting your mind on God's interest, but man's. Why was Peter being a stumbling block? Jesus tells him, you're thinking about what you want instead of what God wants. So get out of the way. We need to do that. Sometimes we need to just get out of the way and let God move. He's going to move regardless. But it'll be more comfortable for us if we get out of the way instead of God moving us out of the way. Because if God moves us, it's not going to be comfortable. We need to get rid of the mindset of we can't. Because God can. And I'm not talking about making superficial changes. I'm talking about making changes that coincide with what God wants and His purpose for our church and His, His will for our church. We need to make changes. We need to change our attitudes. And we need to stop saying we can't do this and say if God wants it to happen, we have no choice but to do this. And then make those changes. You see, I want to leave you with this. God will make a way where there seems to be no way. The chorus to that song says this, God will make a way where there seems to be no way. He works in ways we cannot see. He will make a way for me. He will be my guide. Hold me closely to His side with love and strength for each new day. He will make a way. He will make a way. Church, I'm here to tell you God will make a way. We don't have to understand it. We don't have to know how. All we have to do is have faith in God and trust Him. Seek His will and be obedient to Him. And God will make a way. Now we've come to the invitation portion of our service. If God is dealing with you for anything and you need to come to the altar to pray, it is open for you to do that. If you don't know Christ as your personal Savior, and you are feeling the leading of the Holy Spirit to accept Him, please, I would be more than happy to, to introduce you. Take this opportunity to do so. There's many people in this congregation that would be more than happy to come alongside of you and share Christ with you.
and how to know Him as your personal Savior. Don't leave this place without nailing that down. If you are looking for a church home and you feel this is where God is leading you, the invitation is for you to come. Come, be, come forward. Tell us you want to join the church. Tell us you want to be part of this congregation. And we will accept you into this congregation to be part of this church family. Whatever it is God is asking you to do, don't leave this place today without doing that. As we sing these songs right now. Would you stand as we sing hymn 411, Tis So Sweet to Trust in Jesus, 411. We hope you enjoyed it. Don't forget that uh, Whitey wants to meet with all the men up here in the choir immediately following the service. So please come do that. And then um, Wednesday night, 6.30, Bible study, youth and children down in the youth building. Adults up here, we're going to continue going through the book of Galatians. So uh, just thank you for being here. Jerry. It is awesome to have you back with us. He told me uh, he 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 told me that Sanders shared this that uh, he told me that they told him the infection that he had in his body when he went to the hospital would have killed a normal person. And I said, "Well, I'm so thankful to God that you're not normal." <laughs> and, and he said, "Amen to that." So I tell you, the man's strong as a horse. You could probably eat a horse right now, too, couldn't you? <laughs> he says after, uh, after a month and, month and a week of hospital food, he was ready to eat anything. He said he can't get enough to eat right now. So uh, it is good to have him back. Continue to pray for each other. Pray that God will keep you safe. And Joy, if you would come and dismiss us in prayer at this time.
Let us pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for bringing each and every one of us here today for the lessons we've learned, for the people we've met, God. We're just so thankful that Jerry's here, and we ask you to be with the Hyde family as they go through this horrible time in their life, God. We just ask you to take care of us as we leave this place, be with us, and bring us back again. We ask all this in your name. Amen. Thank you.